This morning, our Old Testament reading comes to us from the book of Job, chapter 38. This uh, part of Job takes place near the end of that book. Of course, uh, Job is well known for the suffering that he underwent, uh, the loss of family, the loss of health, the loss of wealth. All of these things went away, and uh, he, he never cursed God. He always trusted in the Lord. Uh, and yet at the end of Job, he starts questioning the Lord, whether the Lord really knows what's right. And uh, the Lord here reveals to him and shows him that uh, he's been there from the beginning. The Lord uh, knows far more than we ever could and can control this universe. And he has even made the foundations of the universe. The Lord said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading is from the 10th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, we've been hearing from Paul's letter to the Romans quite a bit this summer. Uh, and, and Paul continues his argument of being saved by grace, pointing out that it isn't about us asking the question, have I done enough to reach heaven or have I done too much wrong to go to hell? but that Jesus is the one who died and has the one who has saved us. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise as we hear a reading from the gospel. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. This takes place immediately following the feeding of the 5,000 we heard about last week, and we see Jesus walking on the wall. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to each and every one of you through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we begin navigating life, even from a young age, we start to notice that our relationships with other people get complicated. Because there's always this complexity of when two different understandings, two different opinions, and two different pasts collide with each other. Whether it's a, a close relationship between a husband and wife, or, or maybe between parents and children, maybe a professional relationship between co-workers or a boss and a subordinate, we all bring to the table a whole lot of emotions, a whole lot of experiences, and a whole lot of knowledge. And that tends to make things messy. Not always in a bad way, 
but it means that we can't always predict what's going to happen next. We don't always know how the other party is going to react because there's so much behind what we say and what we do. And so we're never quite sure how our words or our actions will be taken by those that we're in relationship with. And that's why there always seems to be room for, or supposed to be room for, compromises and disagreements. And we may not always see eye to eye, but we can come away with an appreciation for each other. And, and with our different uh, coming together of our different ideas, we come to a, a conclusion that generally meets both parties' expectations. And we're used to this. This is how life goes. It's not always fun, but that's how we deal with one another. And as is the case as human beings, we always assume that the way things are with us are the way it will always be with everyone else. And so often we think about our relationship God on these same terms. God brings his opinion. God brings his understanding to the table. And we bring our own and we have to hash it out. Because after all, that's how we deal with other people. So that's, of course, how we deal with God. But that's bad theology. That's not the way it works. When we think of our relationship with God as simply a relationship with another peer, we're wrong. We don't broker an understanding and agreement with God. Because this is how it normally manifests itself that, well, if I do enough good for God or if I accomplish these things for God, then he will love me or he will give me what I want. And if I don't have what I want, that means I've disappointed God. That means that if bad things are happening to me, I should probably heal this relationship between me and God, and there's a give and take going on there. But I want, I want to point you towards this miracle that we witnessed from Jesus today, one I discussed with our young people during the children's sermon, this miracle of Jesus walking on water. And I want you to think about it as I, I read, I'm going to read some of this Again, and I want you to think about the movement of the text. And what I mean by that is, where are the disciples and where is Jesus? And who comes to whom and who is the initiator of this? So I'm going to read it again. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The disciples are doing the only thing we can truly do in our relationship with God, and that is distance themselves from him. Sure, we can, we can distance ourselves from God, can't we? 
We can distance ourselves from God by choosing to not listen to what he has to say. We can distance ourselves from God by doing what he has called us not to do. We can distance ourselves by God by closing our ears and not hearing him. That's what we can do in our relationship with God. But Christ closes that distance. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't allow the natural barriers of this world to get in his way either. It wasn't as if his disciples were in a cart pulled by a horse on a road and Jesus just happened to run fast enough to catch them. I mean, almost anybody could do that. But Jesus himself walked with his feet above the water and made it to his disciples on the boat. It was so unusual that instead of assuming that it was their Lord and Savior, they thought perhaps it was a phantasm. It's a ghost, they out in fear. But look what Jesus gives to them as he comes closer to them. As Jesus comes to his people, he offers them this. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. As Christ closes the distance between us and him, he brings that same sentiment. He says, it is him, do not be afraid. Give, and he gives us comfort and peace in a time of turmoil and difficulty. The disciples are out facing this world of pain, facing a world of uncertainty, facing a world of difficulty, and Christ comes to them. And Christ enters their lives. Not even fluid water can stop him. He's going to walk on water if that's what he needs to do, and he brings comfort and peace. And Peter, in his normal Peter fashion, needs it just to go a little bit farther. And he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter did walk on the water, didn't he? But at the behest of Christ, Christ called Peter. He called Peter to come out onto the water, and of course Peter was all good as long as he kept his focus on Christ. But the moment he turned his mind away, the moment he looked at the troubles of the world, the moment he looked at the things that caused fear, he began to sink. But Christ didn't leave him to his fear. Christ didn't leave him to his problem. Christ reached out and grabbed Peter and pulled him up. This is how our relationship with God works. We put distance between us and him, and he closes that distance. We put up barriers between me and him, and he shatters those barriers. It doesn't matter if it's water. It doesn't matter if it's our sin. It doesn't matter what these things are that we think will keep God away from us. But God comes to us and he calls us to himself. And how does he do that? Well, right away in our lives, he calls us through water itself. He calls us with the water and the word as he makes us his children in baptism. He says, you are mine. 
And then he does it with the bread and the wine, and by the power of the word, he feeds us with his body and blood. He says, you are mine. And he does it through his word that enters our ears, as St. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is how God is is coming to us. This is how Christ is walking on water to you through his sacraments and through his word. And he is calling you and he is saying, come. And it's not us inviting Jesus into our hearts. It's not us inviting Jesus into our lives. It's not us asking him, hey, why don't you come and and, and spend time with me? It is Christ coming to us and saying, I have saved you. Because our relationship with God actually is a rather simple one. It's simple insofar as he comes and he picks us up out of our sin. He picks us up out of our darkness. He picks us up out of our death and makes us his own. And he shows us how by his work, we are not the ones in charge. We are not the ones in authority, but he is. And when he went to the cross, he did it to take charge. He did it to take authority and say, these sins that you have committed are no longer yours, but they are mine. These things that you have done wrong, I'm going to pay for them. These, uh, this action that will lead to your death will instead lead to mine. And that's why it is grand and glorious that we are not the ones in charge. Because that's not always an easy revelation to receive, is it? To say, I'm not in authority. I'm not in control. But in this case, as we see our relationship between us and God, that it is God who comes to us. It is God who picks us up. It is God who saves us. It is God who is in charge of our salvation. We can celebrate because we know we would mess it up. We know that we, if if it were up to us, would still be in our sin and our death trying to work our way out of it. And this is the same sentiment God is speaking to Job about as he points to all this creation, as he points to the foundations of the earth and the the ocean as it it springs forth and he tells its waves to to back away. We, We are at the mercy of nature. We are at the mercy of this world, and yet God can simply call it with a word. God is in control. God is the creator. And when we look to the cross, we see God even further in authority, even further in charge as he takes our sin, removes it from us, and places it on his own son. So that even as he dies, his, our sin dies with him. And as he comes back to life, he gives his life to us. So let us not think that our relationship with God is one of mutual understanding, but it is God coming out onto the sea, reaching his hand out and grabbing hold of us and pulling us out of death and destruction into light and life. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please.